Diesel pollution is making headlines in the UK. The Fiesta ST will make more than a few when the road tests begin and we need to talk about Cadillac. Mazda's CX-5 is a great family SUV which seems to slip under the radar. Audi's RS7 might do the same at 190 miles an hour. And then Qashqai. And from the file marked, we told you so, comes the startling discovery that diesel exhausts really are bad for you and it's all your fault for buying them according to the first ludicrous government remark on the matter we heard, but that was swiftly followed by plenty of others. It's Volkswagen's fault for fiddling the test results. What? It's been around longer than that. Then it must be the car industry's fault for making cars that only meet Euro 6 requirements in the lab and not in the real world. What? You mean the car makers didn't make the rules? The government did? They were our tests? We'll just have to charge you all more for driving into cities then. No, it's not about the money, it's about clean air. So what if other places are banning diesels instead of raising money from them? We want action now, so you'll have to pay. Pretending to be surprised by something that everyone else already knew about and then blaming it on someone else is standard procedure in the world of politics as we observed in 2011 when we pointed out that cars have got nothing on trains and boats and planes when it comes to emissions, never mind cement factories and power stations which are the number one source of dangerous air pollution. Back in the world of petrol power, we're looking at the new Fiesta ST unveiled in Geneva, a perfect example of the huge advances we've made in petrol technology since carbon emissions became a thing. This car will emit less than two pounds of carbon through the tailpipe during an entire 100,000 mile lifetime. 40 years ago, when emissions controls were first introduced, most cars pumped out 2,000 pounds of carbon over that distance. No other source of pollution has achieved anything like that kind of reduction. But governments always see motorists as an easy target. So get it while you can is what we're saying, because things like this will soon be taxed out of existence penalised for bestowing freedom of choice, action and movement and doubtless subject to a special rate of VAT applied to things that make you laugh in a manner which falls outside the scope of government restrictions and can't be stopped in any other way. Because this car will make you laugh. Ford has replaced the old Aspro 1.64 with a Turbo 1.53. Same power, different delivery, and you choose between normal, sport and track. And because it arrived so early in New Fiesta's life cycle, there's every reason to hope there's more to come. 
And now we join the throngs asking with a Cadillac and so on. Because the must-have premium saloon that ruled the USA is no longer anything of the sort. And though the product probably compares better with foreign rivals than it ever has before, it seems to have lost the attention of the American consumer. Greater minds than ours have wondered what Cadillac's got to do to put itself back in the frame. And some of those have even speculated that GM itself should be employing some of them in order to develop a coherent corporate strategy to deal with this and other matters. We ourselves have often wondered how the VW Group juggles all of its various brands without them all treading on each other's toes, and we have also pointed out how well Audi distinguishes itself from the rest of the nameplates by striking and memorable marketing. So it may be instructive to remember that Cadillac's marketing head is the man who headed up Audi USA for a decade or more and gave them such a strong brand image that sales actually went up during the Dieselgate scandal in which Audi engineers played such a key role. So it may well be that he knows exactly what he's doing, moving Cadillac HQ to New York and opening a coffee shop style brand house there too. Although a lot of opinion seems to be that it's just window dressing. But as we've seen, window dressing is a lot more important than it seems, especially when you're talking about premium brands and their images. And Cadillac is a premium brand still, even though it's a shadow of its former self in image terms. Product-wise, it is pretty much the bee's knees, and the ATS is a perfect illustration of just how good the current lineup really is. The interiors may not be Audi-like or even Mercedes-ish, but they shouldn't be, because this is a Cadillac. And if you can't tell that from the driver's seat, they really are in trouble. And if we said there's no such thing as a bad engine at this level, it wouldn't do the 2-litre 4 justice, never mind the V6. Maybe it's sacrificed a bit of an edge in the pursuit of refinement because it feels a bit more adventurous putting a Camaro. But then, it's meant to. That said, premium saloons are meant to be driven. And ATS does that part of the job very properly indeed. Everybody says so, not just us. And pretty much everyone agrees about the rest of it too. This is a very appealing package and it ought to be selling gangbusters to an American audience which we think is increasingly patriotic about a lot of things. Except Detroit. So that's the image problem Cadillac is up against with this car and the company has just bet the farm on its new boss getting it turned around just like he did at Audi. But it took him well over 10 years to do it and all the while he was nurturing the American market, the Audi main board was funding race and rally programs which lifted the brand perception into ever higher territory. Winning at Le Mans non-stop, for example. 
repeat wins in the ALMS series at the same time. Arguably any boss of the US office who hadn't produced big sales gains against that kind of backdrop wasn't getting the job done. But Cadillac has none of that going on right now, and so it has an even bigger task if it's going to get the job done, which is fine if the GM mainboard's ready for 10 years in the trenches, the minimum for getting Cadillac perceived as something other than the domestic alternative for people who can't afford premium imports. Especially when it's priced head-to-head -head with all of them. That puts Cadillac between, yes, a rock and a hard place. The rock is that image gap, and the hard place is being a cheap domestic alternative. And the reason it's so hard is that it's almost impossible to get back up if you go right down there with your pricing. In a crowded segment, Mazda's CX-5 is a crossover everyone seems to like which is pretty good going when you consider the class of rival it's up against, not least of which are Sportage, Tiguan and Cougar. But it is a thoroughly likeable thing, as well as driving and handling well. Mazda may have dropped the zoom-zoom from its ads, but it hasn't forgotten how to do it, so if you're one of those people who occasionally enjoys getting behind the wheel and you have to have a small family workhorse, those two things are by no means mutually exclusive. Its sales numbers have been riding steadily on both sides of the Atlantic, and that was before the partnership with Toyota gave Mazda the kind of technology boost that will allow it to offer more choices than its admirable and excellent Skyactiv program of efficiencies. On the whole, we think hybrids are a waste of time and resources, and that we should just get on with making petrol engines better while we search for a real alternative to the combustion engine. And that's the essence of Skyactiv. However, like anything else in the Mazda lineup, CX-5 brings good looks and a cheery blend of practical usability and sports car derived drivability. Although that shouldn't exclude it from consideration by people who just want A to B at the right price. That does seem to be happening. A bit of sporty flair seems to be the double-edged sword that appeals to some potential buyers but actually dissuades a number of others who then fail to notice a neat interior, bags and bags of carrying capacity, good performance and economy and reasonable resale values as well. So this latest iteration of the road tester's favourite crossover is only slightly changed. Many improvements all over the place that just make it a little better at everything without losing any of the driving pleasure in the hope that whatever it was that stopped people from choosing this over its rivals when it came to time to put the money down will have been eradicated. Ah, oh, yes. Or rather, RS. These are fast becoming our favourite letters. Fast. See what we did there? Platform-wise, 
This is just another way of putting the RS6 Avant to good use, which sounds a little strange for an estate car to have a coupe spin-off. But we'd be the first to admit that we are somewhat baffled by the model proliferation which the premium Germans are capable of, and even more so by their appetite for it. Almost as if they're afraid someone else will spot a niche for a few thousand sales which they themselves haven't noticed. But there's money in them there niches. There's millions in it, in fact, so this is good business and good image wrangling as well. Audi has enough race cred to do high performance interiors with authority, as well as enough good taste not to stink the place up with too much carbon or too much wood, or too much of anything, really. Okay, some parts of this are trending towards being a bit blingy, but trending, that's all, just edging that way ever so slightly. And if we'd spent this much money on a posh four-door coupe, we'd probably want people to know it's expensive without having to tell them. And without having to pin them back in their seats when they ask if it goes as good as it looks, because the answer is rather better than it looks, even without spending the extra dosh on the performance version. Eighty-seven grand, the cooking version of this, but you can blow another five grand and get the performance version with added performance, right? All for the same money as a Panamera S, which kicks off at just above ninety grand as well. And it probably has the edge on performance and driving, although it might not do so when it comes to looks. We aren't sure, really. Four-door coupes aren't really our thing, regardless of who makes them, and though we're easily swept away by the smooth lines of the two-door RS5, we find no similar cause for enthusing over this. There are people who need four doors, and there are people who want a coupe, and there are people who want 550 horsepower in their road car. Spend the extra five grand then and get all but 600 horses. And then for a mere 1,500 quid extra, the electronic speed limit goes up from the politically acceptable 155 to the much more entertaining 174. Which is round numbers in KPH, of course, and it reads 280 clicks on that kind of speedo. Still not all there is to have though, because another 10 grand buys you the dynamic package and now you've got all the safety devices on board, you can unlock more miles per hour. 189 of them, or just over 300 clickometers. That was exclusive supercar territory until a few years ago. It's an astonishing statistic, especially for a car that weighs more than 2,000 kilos, and yet it's all legal and above board, which in itself is another astonishing fact including reaction time and assuming a perfectly dry road, it would take around 600 metres to stop a car with normal tyres and brakes. So let's say half a kilometre, even with ceramic brakes and the like, because the key is friction. You can only stop as fast as the tyres can cope with it, 
and the road underneath is the same for all of us. We mention this because the only place you could possibly use this kind of top speed is in Germany, where many autobahns have no limits. But the law forbids you from going at a speed that would extend your stopping distance beyond your sight line. 190 miles an hour probably does do that. You know the story here. In 2006, Nissan rewrote the rulebook with the launch of Qashqai and have ruled the roost in their new segment ever since. But now the popular crossover is midway through Generation 2 and this Geneva unveiling revealed the looks that will carry it through the next couple of years to Generation 3. And more importantly, the new tech that will deliver us all safely unto our ultimate destination, which is full autonomy in a few years' time. Yes, new plastics and lights and a smoother face that makes it more like its newer rivals. It reminds us more of Ateca than anything else. Tiguan, not so much, and Sportage, not at all. But now you know this, like CX-5, is up against the best of the best Infotainment and connectivity are all over the place inside, but the heavyweight items are in the driving aids. New Qashqai will cruise, accelerate, brake and steer on motorways, and the addition of the steering function takes it one step beyond adaptive cruise control, which is already prevalent across many brands. But next year's model will add a lane-changing ability which will transform the daily commute for anyone at the wheel, and inside two more years, it'll be able to cope with junctions as well. At that point, it's more or less a few lines of legislation away from being a self-driving car, and for us, the real significance is that it will be available in a 20 grand family SUV rather than a premium level model. The democratization of technology is advancing almost as quickly as the technology itself, and that can only be a good thing for all of us. Even the Luddites, who don't want self-driving cars, will find it hard to avoid the backwash of electronic cleverness, which is our driving future. Make no mistake. And next week, if the hot hatch really is the people's supercar, and this is the definitive hot hatch of the modern era, then we should all be giving Ford's new Focus RS a much closer inspection, and possibly thinking of it in investment terms, in case it's a future classic. And everyone who drives it says the Julia is already a classic and definitely the Alpha we have all been waiting for. But have we been waiting so long for Alpha to deliver on all those promises of renewed glory that it's finally too long? Will FCA run out of time before we run out of patience? And will we run out of time before we've saved up enough money to buy a McLaren 720S? 200 grand's a lot of spondulics for a sports car, but at least it has 700 horsepower. Maybe they should put it in the F1 car and see how they get on like that.